Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast coming to you on this Tuesday morning. It is bloody freezing. It is absolutely freezing cold. I've, I'm in the man cave. I put the heating on in the man cave from about 7.30 this morning. So I've had, what, two and a half hours for it to heat up and I'm still cold. So I've gone full tracksuit with a body warmer on top in order to make sure that I'm warm enough uh, to sit in here for the duration of this podcast. Um, I hope everyone's good. I hope everyone's well. I hope everyone's having a good week so far. Arsenal back in action at the weekend. Not long uh, to wait until our beloved Gunners uh, return to action. And you know what? I can't wait. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel like when you have a break off the back of a disappointing run of results, people start to overthink. People start to make a big deal out of maybe smaller issues, myself included. I've done that too. Um, you know, I sort of maybe overthought the whole transfer strategy and all the rest of it over the last few days and put out some thoughts and views and opinions on that. I know a lot of you disagreed with me. Um, I still think that there is some validity in the points I was making. Um, but I do appreciate that had Arsenal been in midweek action, for example, I probably wouldn't have gone down that rabbit hole of thought and you know, we would have been focused on a game. And I think when you're in a bad run of results, I know people say, you know, sometimes you need a break, sometimes you need a reset. Yeah, there is a, a positive to having that break and to having that reset, but there's also a negative in that it then gives the supporters time to overthink, maybe at times overanalyze. And sometimes you can make the situation seem a lot worse than it actually is. So thank God Arsenal are back in action on Saturday at Emirates Stadium. We take on, of course, Crystal Palace. Um, let's say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the live chat with us. Avsar says, morning. Boy, oh boy, it's cold. Uh, minus three um, here. And I know, I think Afsar lives uh, down the road from me. So yeah, um, I, I feel what you're feeling at the moment, mate. Uh, big hello to um, Abir Ul-Islam, who says, uh, the weather has been so unpredictable these days. Apparently, like our beloved Arsenal. Uh, Steve Bright says, Arsenal not signing Tony or Benzema. Shock, horror. Who knew? We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, big hello to uh, Dini Man, who joins us from Guyana in South America. I bet it's a lot warmer there. Um, shout out to you, my friend, um, and to everybody else joining us from that part of the world. We've got Hawk Wind. We've got Henry. We've got Wandering Minstrel. Uh, Thomas and friends, we've got... Um, what have we got? Uh, VGT says, uh, I'm not looking forward to this half of the season. It's not going to look good, mate. He then goes on to say, I've been told that last season was progression. So if Arteta fails to win the Premier League title or Champions League trophy, he needs to go. That is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I'm going to favourite that and we'll come on to it in a little bit um, more detail a little bit later on. I think that you obviously always want to see progress, but progress doesn't always go like that. It's not always a straight line, the progression line. Sometimes you'll get yourself to a point from, you know, for example, we went from top four contenders to title contenders pretty quickly. And then when you get to the point where you're title contenders, does that mean that the following season you're going to go and win the league? Or does it mean that you're now in that next step, in that next stage? And yeah, obviously you want to get to the next stage, but you have to be realistic. It doesn't mean that because you finished second last year, you're going to finish first this year. There will be bumps along the way and along the road. And and everybody will tell you that, I think. This is not me being um, overly defensive of Arsenal. I, ju I just think that that's a, a, a wild expectation to have. If Arsenal got to the Champions League final, for example, and missed out on the Premier League by three points, so less than last season, would that not be progress as well? Because it would, right? It, albeit tiny progress, it would be progress in terms of the Premier League because we'd have been closer to the top. So if you want to make that argument, people could still find the argument that there's been progress. If we finish eight points, 10 points off the top, um, then that's different, right? But people will always make that argument that there has been some process if the gap is smaller. So that's where your argument, I think, falls down. Plus, we weren't in the Champions League last year. So if we got to the final of the Champions League, would that not be a good achievement? Of course it would. Um, look, there are there are lots of things that I think Arsenal may have, and we won't really know until the end of the season, that we may have got wrong. And, you know, I highlighted some of those things on the last episode that we did. 
So I'm not sitting here defending blindly every single move the club makes, every single transfer the club makes, every single decision uh, that Mikel Arteta or Edu make. I'm not doing that. I'm sitting here and I'm trying to analyse where we're at, but I also appreciate that the reason I feel like we're overanalyzing it now is because of the lack of action, is because um, we're at a, a bit of a break and a, and a sort of a point where, yeah, there is frustration and there is concern, rightly so, but if we get back to winning ways against Crystal Palace on Saturday and then we go and win at Nottingham Forest, the outlook will be very different. We could win those two games and then go and beat Liverpool and close the deficit on Liverpool to within a couple of points. And all of a sudden, the season looks really, really different. The mood can change. It can flip quite quickly and quite easily. So people just need to stay calm, in my opinion. Uh, stay relaxed and uh, and we'll see, uh, of course, where it takes us. OK, um, we're going to get into a few stories today. Uh, we're going to talk uh, Thierry Henry at the FIFA Best Awards. <laughs> so cheeky, so brilliant. Uh, we're going to talk about Everton and Nottingham Forest uh, being charged by the Premier League for breaches of the profit and sustainability rules. We're going to talk about those rules in general. Uh, we're also going to talk Karim Benzema because... Uh, we didn't put out a full-length pod yesterday, but I had lots of people uh, sort of saying on socials and, and sort of messaging me saying, why don't we go out and get Karen Benzema? I don't think there's any chance whatsoever that Arsenal land Karen Benzema. Do I think he'd be a good fit? Yeah, I do. But I don't think there's any chance that that deal happens. And I'll tell you why a little bit later on in the programme. We'll also talk about Ivan Tony, who Thomas Frank is pretty adamant is staying, um, of course, at Brentford at least until the end of the season. And I'm going to prompt you again a little bit later on. But once this show is over, in the comments, not the live chat, in the comments, I want you to leave some questions because tomorrow I'm joined by the brilliant Charles Watts to um, to discuss some of those questions. And we'll also uh, touch on whatever's hot in the press on the day as well. So loads and loads of content coming your way over the course of the week. Make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. Make sure you've got the notification bell turned on and all the rest of it. Leave a like on the video because that really does help. One more thing, just a quick reminder of the slightly a different approach that we are taking on YouTube now. So the podcast remains as is, okay? You're still going to get the same amount of shows, all the rest of it. We're going to be bringing you the full episode. That's what we're doing right now. But there will be cut downs and segments from the episodes posted on YouTube as separate videos, um, you know, over the course of the week. And the reason for that is because we're not maximizing what we can do on YouTube in terms of growth, in terms of visibility and all the rest of it. I've been very much in the podcast mode of how can I make a good podcast? And at times I've let the YouTube side of it go by the wayside. So I haven't maximized that as best as possible. And that's one of my things that I want to do in this new year. So um, the, the full episodes will be labeled on the thumbnail with a logo top left saying full episode. So you'll know that's the full ep. Then we'll be dropping videos, which are cutouts from parts of the podcast. What I'd love you to do though, while we try and build a bit of momentum and almost train the YouTube algorithm to understand that we're now posting shorter form stuff as well, is if you see those videos come up, I appreciate that you might have already watched the pod and you might not want to sit through that segment again. But if you could go in there, it just takes two seconds and leave a like and a comment. Even if it's just a thumbs up, that really, really does help. So I'd really, really appreciate that uh, going forward. Keep an eye out. There'll be a cut down from this episode going out a little bit later on this evening. OK, uh, I think we'll start then uh, with the Thierry Henry story. I love that. Thierry Henry showing up Tottenham at the FIFA Best Awards. <laughs> Arsenal legend Thierry Henry was at the FIFA Best Awards in London last night and uh, he went up to collect uh, the FIFA Best Player Award for Lionel Messi. Uh, Lionel Messi wasn't in attendance and so Thierry Henry, a former teammate of his, of course, at Barcelona, did the honours. He, he made a couple of jokes. Pretty cool. Pretty funny. Um, he spoke about uh, the fact that, you know, I've never won this award, so I'm going to take it. And he turned around to Reshman Chowdhury, the presenter, who's a, a well-known Spurs fan. And he said, um, you're a Spurs fan, right? And he said, uh, you're not used to getting your hands on trophies, so I'll take this. <laughs> Which I thought was brilliant. Really, really good. You can find the clip on social media going around. I, I think you'll find it quite funny. Um, Thierry Henry doing his bit to uh, remain connected with the Arsenal fans. Not that it needed to happen. 
But just on the point of Thierry Henry, while we're on the subject, I don't know if anybody's listened to the episode of uh, a Diary of a CEO that he did with Stephen Bartlett the other week, where he talked loads about sort of the mental battles that top level football players go through. And he talks a lot about his childhood and how that kind of shaped him as a man and how it turned him into the the ultimate athlete. But maybe as a result of, of some of the things that he experienced in his upbringing, he kind of forgot to be Thierry Henry, the human being. And he's going through a bit of a journey at the moment in terms of sort of getting his head right. And he spoke about the difficulties he faced during... Um, you know, during the uh, the COVID times over in Montreal, Canada, uh, and all the rest of it, not seeing his kids, the divorce, all of that stuff. It's really, really interesting to listen to. I mean, you start off by listening to it and thinking, nah, you know, how can Thierry Henry not be happy? Like Thierry Henry's got it all, you know, great footballer, amazing career, obviously very wealthy as a result of that. Um, you know just why would anyone in that world or in that position ever feel down or depressed or frustrated or not happy with themselves? And it goes to show that anyone can struggle. Anybody can struggle, even the people that you don't expect it from. Thierry Henry was always super confident, at times bordering on arrogant, angry quite a bit, wasn't he? You know, I remember when sort of decisions used to go against us and he'd, he'd sort of go after the officials and he'd be really strong and forthright in his opinions and all the rest of it. It just goes to show, man, that you don't know what's going on um, behind closed doors for somebody. Be kind, be, be you know, empathetic, be open-minded because even the very elite in what they do, who you'd think in your head have everything in the world that they could possibly want, can still struggle. And, you know, I, I it was a conversation that tugged on my heartstrings, I have to say. If you haven't checked it out, it's the Diary of a CEO podcast. Um, with Stephen Bartlett, the Thierry Henry episode. It's well, well worth um, a listen. Okay, um, let's go, go back through uh, the live chat uh, and see what you guys are saying. Um, a lot of comments about Benzema. We'll get onto that in a bit, I promise. Uh, Lynn, don't worry, we'll get to that. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Andy and Guy and starting on Kai Havertz. Uh, listen, man, like I'm, I'm so bored of this Kai Havertz conversation. And the reason I'm bored of it is because so much of the nonsense that's peddled around about Kai Havertz is just not true. It's just not true. This idea that Kai Havertz has come in and ruined Arsenal is not true. This idea that Kai Havertz um, coming in is the sole reason that Arsenal can't buy anybody in this January window is a nonsense. Like, Arsenal have been spending, spending, spending for a number of years. And are in the position now where they have to be careful because of the profit and sustainability rules um, because of the strategy that they've adopted and the overhaul that was required at the football club. Um, and that goes back five or six years, man, like maybe not quite five or six, but it goes back three, four years at the very least. This idea that that sole transfer has been the problem for us, is a nonsense. You know, we could have done a deal with someone where, you know, we, uh, you know, agreed to pay some money a little bit later down the line to the value of what we signed David Raya for. But everybody wants to talk about Kai Havertz. You know, why don't we talk about Fabio Vieira, who cost 35 million and hasn't really had an impact at Arsenal yet? Why don't we talk about the 20 million pounds that we spent on, um, Sambi Laconga. Why don't we talk about the eight to 10 million pounds that we spent on Nuno Tavares? Like this, this constant, you know, want to go at Kai Havertz, it drives me up the wall because it's so inaccurate and it's such a weak argument. Like, and it's, it's a classic case of people picking up the headlines and thinking that that must be the gospel truth without actually delving into the situation and understanding the background. I'm sorry, Andy, like I'm not, meaning to go off on you specifically, but I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing this Kai Havertz stuff. Like it's over and over and over and over again. We talked about it on the show that we did the other night where we had a couple of you guys join us as well live in the chat. It was, oh, we don't need Kai Havertz. Sorry, who would have played at left centre midfield this season if we didn't have Kai Havertz? Emil Smith-Rowe, who's never fit, 
and has just about got himself back to fitness now, but probably still, even at this stage, doesn't have more than 20, 30 minutes in the tank. Fabio Vieira, who's been out since November. Leandro Trossard, who looks lost every time he plays there. Who would have been Arsenal's left centre midfielder? So this idea that Kai Havertz was a complete waste of money and is the sole reason that Arsenal can't go out and sign anyone is so far off the mark, it drives me crazy. It really does. Now, you can have a debate about the signing, generally speaking. You can have a debate around whether we should have got maybe a more specialist left-sided central midfielder. You can have a debate around whether we overpaid. For the record, I think we did. But this notion that he's the only reason and the only reason um, that we are in this financial situation or that we're sailing close to the wind when it comes uh, to financial fair play, it's, it's, it's such a lazy narrative. It really, really is. Okay. Um, what else have we got in the live chat? Times with JR says, don't forget to smash that like button. 18 likes so far. Um, yeah, 18 likes is is not very good, is it? Come on, guys. Um, I want you to, to hit the like button, subscribe to the channel, all the rest of it. We've discussed it um, already. Um, here we go again. Um, Mr. Feather says, bro, this club is shambolic, low standards. Um, Harry, don't make excuses. Worst signing of all time. How can you? At this stage, looking at Kai Havertz's contributions, say he's the worst signing of all time. Have you like erased your memory of Nicolas Pepe, who cost us seventy-two million pounds and is out playing football in Trabzonspor um, at this moment in time? Like, anyway, anyway, um, I, I didn't come on here to talk about Kai Havertz. I don't want to get sucked into that um, that conversation again. Um, okay. We've talked to Thierry Henry. Uh, we're going to take a really short pause. When we come back, we're going to talk about the punishments facing Everton and Nottingham Forest, who were charged yesterday by the Premier League for having breached the profit and sustainability rules. So it was announced yesterday uh, that Everton and Nottingham Forest uh, are being charged with a breach of the profit and sustainability rules. Now, Everton um, are in familiar territory because they've been in this position before. They've had 10 points deducted already, which has unfortunately for them seen them sucked into a relegation battle. Um, both sides, uh, both clubs are expected to launch strong defences. But look, rules are rules and you've got to follow those rules. And I, I think the problem that we've got here is I don't have an issue with clubs being um, being penalised for breaking those rules. Because I've said for a long time that unless we get a bit of control over this stuff, you know, the Premier League is going to continue to accelerate away from all the other leagues in Europe, which isn't good for European football generally, isn't good for the sport generally. And, you know, we also have ownerships. You know, you're seeing it with Reading at the moment, um, who, you know, will come in, will spend a load of money, will we'll finance every asset of the clubs to its absolute limit, leave the club in a shit situation and then just become non-responsive and and sort of try and wash their hands with it. The profit and sustainability rules are there to obviously um, help with the, the, the sort of fairness of the game, I would say, um, and, and try and maintain some level of, you know, you're not going to get it always being a level playing field because you got, you know, for example, Arsenal generate a lot more revenue than, than Bournemouth, right? So Arsenal will always be able to spend more money than Bournemouth and all the rest of it. And that's how it goes. But what it does is it also protects the football clubs as well from falling in too big a deficit to the point where their future is at stake. Now, if I were a Reading fan, I'd be really concerned and worried about what's going on there. And then you listen to the EFL statement, which I thought was a, a nonsense, really. It didn't really actually say anything, did it? It didn't actually do anything or go any way in reassuring, um, you know, those, those Reading supporters that are going through it at the moment. Look, Everton have broken the rules the first time they've broken it again, um, they need to get their house in order, right? There's no doubt about that. Any punishment that comes their way, you know, they, they're going to have to take it on the chin. But I think the question is around the fairness of the punishment and what needs to happen now, because this is the beginning of us really seeing these profit and sustainability rules enforced. And I think it's had a big part on um, why the window's been so quiet, actually, so far. Now, I don't mind it. I don't mind this being in place. I think it's good. I think we need it. 
but you have to have some kind of structure and some kind of guidelines in place that everybody's clear on with regards to the punishments that are going to come um, if you breach these rules. Because, you know, we know that the Premier League's in the, or the independent panel that looked at Everton's case earlier in the season said, deduct them 12 points. And the Premier League went, 12 is a bit harsh. Let's bring it down to 10. Even 10, when you look at the details of the actual breach, seems a little bit over the top for me. So I think we need to have some guidelines in place that nobody can argue with. You know, if you're in breach by 10 to 20 million, this is what happens. If you're in breach by 20 to 30 million, this is what happens. If you're in breach by 30 to 40 million, this is what happens. If it's more than 50 million, bang, you know, this is the, the punishment. Something like that needs to be in place so that when these charges come down, nobody can argue with them. Now, this is the Premier League, obviously concerned and worried about the fact that there is an independent regulator breathing down their necks at this moment in time. And I've said it before, they are desperate to show that they can police their own league, that they can keep their own ducks in order and all the rest of it. Fine. But there needs to be fairness across the board. And that's why I think guidelines need to be put in place. Maybe there are guidelines. We're not privy to them as supporters. Um, I think that they should be put out publicly so that everybody can see it. It stops all the clamour and stops all the noise anytime a punishment comes down for a club. So that's what I would do. Nottingham Forest, are you surprised that they're in this position given the, the amount of transfer activity? They're arguing that, you know, had they sold Brennan Johnson a little bit earlier, that would have changed things. But they didn't. They didn't. So that's the problem here. Do you see what I mean? Um, so I, I don't have sympathy for these clubs in that sense. Where I have sympathy is that I don't think the punishments that would that have been handed out in the past, i.e. Everton's, um, were necessarily fair or, you know, clearly communicated, at least to the supporters previously, so that there wouldn't be these arguments, these debates, these frustrations and all the rest of it. One other thing I'll say is obviously a lot of people are saying, well, hold on a minute. What's going on with Manchester City? How comes Everton are getting punished and, and Nottingham Forest are getting punished? And, you know, Chelsea are being talked about as well, but they haven't been punished yet. But these two smaller clubs, if you like, are um, in line to receive some sort of punishment. And I said something yesterday on the, on the 90 Min show. I said it's a bad look for the Premier League that the Manchester City case continues to rumble on while they are seemingly concluding cases like Everton's and Nottingham Forest's um, in a much shorter period of time. And obviously the comments were not happy with that because they're never happy with anything I say on there. But they went, well, you know, you, you can't compare the two situations. You, you just can't compare the two cases. One is far more complex which is a fair and valid point. It's a fair and valid point. But I think you can say that the Premier League look bad based on the fact that the Manchester City case is still dragging out and understand that it's a far more complex case at the same time. I don't think those two opinions have to be, have to be exclusive to one another. Like, you know... I think that, that it does look bad that the City case is dragging on. Whatever the outcome, I've never even at any point sat here and said that Manchester City are guilty because I don't know. I can't say that. You know, I have my opinion on it, but I don't know. So I can't sit here and say Manchester City are guilty or that they're not guilty. But the fact that it's taking so long, it doesn't look good. Whatever way you look at it, you can understand it's a complex case, but still feel that, you know, it's um, that it's 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 a complex case, and and all the way I've I've lost my trail of thought. You can still say that it's a bad look, but also understand that it's a more complex case. Is the point I was trying to make? Is the point I was trying to get to? Uh, and we got there in the end. Anyway, um, we're going to take another short pause. When we come back, we're going to talk Karen Benzema. Uh, we're going to talk Thomas Frank's comments on Ivan Tony, and I want to just address one of the common misconceptions that is going around at the moment about what happens when you sell homegrown players um, and what that means for your balance sheet. I'll be back in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Like, subscribe, review, all the rest of it. You know the drill by now. Welcome back along to the podcast. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Okay. Um, Arsenal. Uh, one of the clubs that have been linked with a move for Al Itihad's Karim Benzema. Now, it seems that Karim Benzema has fallen out uh, with people over at Al Itihad and that he might be 
uh, trying to maneuver a move back to Europe. Now, would I love to have Karim Benzema? Of course I would, because he's a wonderful, wonderful footballer. Even at, what, 36 years old, he's still incredibly effective. Um, he's still someone that I think would add so much to our side if we could get him. But I also understand that the reality is that this is a really, really difficult, pushing on impossible deal to do. Now, he's gone to Saudi um, Arabia. He's gone to the Saudi Pro League. And, you know, you could argue, obviously, well, it's not an argument. It's a fact that the standard isn't as high as it would have been in La Liga, where he was playing previously. But in 15 appearances, he's still got nine goals and five assists. So 14 direct goal contributions um, in, in 15 games in the league. He's also played 76% of their minutes, which means that, you know, he's in good condition and he's not, you know, he's not been a burden in that way. He's on massive mega wages at Al Ittihad, which means that it's just not viable. You know, it's not financially viable to do a deal like this. I read somewhere that he was on about a hundred million pounds a year over there. How the hell do you match that? Now, Karen Benzema might want to move back to Europe, and I'm sure Karen Benzema's got plenty of money. I'm sure he's not sitting there obsessing over a few quid here and there. But if you're Karen Benzema, like you're probably going to try and force your way out by way of getting some sort of payout to at least take a chunk of that money um, that you had coming your way, which is ultimately why you moved to Saudi Arabia in the first place, right? It wasn't for the standard of football. Um, you know, it might have been for the lifestyle, and it might have been. Um, you know, partly to do with that as well as the money. But, you know, it's not it's not about football, was it? It, it certainly wasn't. Um, a lot of players that went over to Saudi Arabia and claimed it was because of the footballing project have, have backtracked on that. A lot of players have decided that they want to try and work their way out of it now. You look at Jordan Henderson, um, you know, who at the time of recording looks like he might be on his way to Ajax. He wants to come away from that because he, a lot of people have gone there been sort of attracted by the big money and, and all that stuff and the lifestyle and the status maybe that comes with being a top footballer in Saudi Arabia and have then realised very quickly that actually it's not what was sold to them and, and now they want to come back. Karim Benzema would be an awesome fit for Arsenal. You know why? Because we talk so much about having a facilitator of a number nine and we talk so much about our number nine needing to bring the best out of Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard, Trossard, whoever plays in those areas around them. But we also complain about the fact that our number nines, particularly Gabriel Jesus, given he's the number one, don't score enough goals, don't contribute enough in that sense. Karim Benzema is one of the few players in world football in recent years who's proven that he can produce both of those things to the highest level regularly. Now, I know he's been in Saudi Arabia for, what, half a season. I know it's probably not the Karim Benzema that was at Real Madrid three, four years ago that you'd end up with. But when you think about the skill set that Karim Benzema would bring to the party, you know, how can you not think that he would be a good fit for Arsenal? He absolutely would. But as I say, this is a deal that just isn't financially viable. And if we're sitting on the one hand and saying, Arsenal don't have the money to do significant business this month because, you know, the profit and sustainability rules have put us up against the wall and in the corner a little bit. Then how can you at the same time be calling for us to try and do a deal and bring a player over from Saudi Arabia that's earning a hundred million pounds a year? It just doesn't make sense. I'd love the player to be at Arsenal, even for the short term, until the end of the season, to give us a little bit of extra experience and an edge in the Champions League, a competition that I think we can have a real good crack at this year. But it's just not financially viable. It's just not going to be possible. So um, I think we need to we need to push that one to one side um, and uh, and just forget about it. Uh, Andy says in the chat, uh, in FIFA career mode, you can sign who you want. Yeah, and that's the problem. I feel like a lot of um, Arsenal supporters look at the club as if it is a club that's being run on a FIFA career mode where you can uh, essentially do what you want without any of the nuances of reality coming into play. But Karim Benzema is not going to end up at Arsenal. Um, that There is no chance whatsoever of that deal going through. So give that one a rest. Forget about it. Not happening. <laughs> I 
I want to address uh, before we go on to the Ivan Tony chat uh, one common misconception that I've seen banded uh, about over sort of the last couple of weeks since the transfer window has been open pretty much um, about what what selling homegrown players gives you. Now we know that when you sell a homegrown player. There's a larger chunk of profit that is going to come your way. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Because you didn't pay for that player in terms of a transfer fee. You did invest time, though, and you did invest money in terms of a salary to keep that player, to bring that player up through your academy and then into your first team and all the rest of it. But forget about, you know, the money that you've invested, not because it doesn't matter. But when it comes to the balance sheet, when it comes to, you know, putting it through your books, the advantage that you have is that you can show that as pure profit. So let's take Eddie Nketiah as an example, okay? And, and in a Chelsea example, you'd be talking about someone like Conor Gallagher. Eddie Nketiah is being paid a wage by Arsenal. Eddie Nketiah is earning money from Arsenal. Um, Conor Gallagher is earning a wage at Chelsea. So if you sold these players on, it wouldn't be pure profit because you'd have invested money into them over the course of their career so far. So this term pure profit is not completely accurate, but when it comes to your balance sheet, you can put it down as pure profit, which might not help you in terms of cash flow and in the reality and doesn't give you back the money that you spent on them already. But it does help you to just make your books look that bit healthier when it comes to adhering to the profit and sustainability rules. And that is why clubs are seemingly quite keen at the moment to move those types of players on. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So Eddie Nketiah is on a wage at Arsenal, 100 grand a week from what we understand. He's on a five-year contract. Now, if he stayed at Arsenal for another three years, I think he's had one year under that five-year contract. So if he stayed for another three years, he'd be, we'd have been paying his salary for four years. That £100,000 a week, four years, um, four years, we'd have paid him a lot of money. So when you sell him for £30 million in the fourth year, for example, and that might not be the reality, but when you sell him for, let's say, for argument's sake, 30 million in the fourth year, you might look at it and say, actually, it's 30 million pounds, but we've spent 15 million pounds in terms of what we've been paying him over the course of these four years. So actually, it isn't pure profit. And I agree with that. It's not pure profit. The pure profit bit comes into play and, and why people say it comes into play when you go to do your balance sheet, because he is a homegrown player, you'd be able to, to write it off as pure profit when you're doing your books. And if that passes as pure profit when you're doing your books, that clearly helps you when you're trying to then show that you've adhered to the profit and sustainability rules. Now, maybe you haven't. You know, maybe it, it paints a false... In fact, it does paint a false picture with regards to your financial situation. But... That can be helpful and beneficial to you when you're trying to kind of, you know, find the funds and, and release the funds to do deals. So this term pure profit, 
I understand why some people are shutting it down and saying it's a nonsense. But the, the reason they're using that term and the reason that is a discussion and a conversation is because that money can go down and be seen as pure profit when it comes to your financials. So that's where that bit comes in. Just wanted to touch on that because I've seen a lot of talk about that online over the last uh, few days. Okay, uh, final story of the day. Thomas Frank has been speaking about the future of Ivan Tony. Is he leaving the club in January? We didn't think he would. And it seems, based by on Thomas Frank's comments, that's probably not going to be the case. Brentford boss Thomas Frank says he's 99% sure that Ivan Tony will be a Brentford player until the end of the season. Now, I feel that Ivan Tony owes Brentford here. They've stuck with him through a difficult time. Um, you know, they were the club that kind of gave him the chance when things weren't going great at at Newcastle, he went there, did really well. Obviously, he's given them loads as well. But I think when it comes to, you know, the 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 gambling ban that he's been through, when a club sticks by you like that, I feel like you probably do owe them something. Um, you know, at the beginning, if you're just going there and you're playing football and you're scoring goals, but you're getting paid a decent salary, it's kind of a, a deal that works for both ways. It's a mutually beneficial arrangement, agreement, whatever. But when it comes to something like that, where you're then going to be paid a wage and actually you're not going to be playing any football for the team. You need the club to be with you, to stick by you. Um, it would have been very, very easy for Brentford to kind of, you know, to to sort of turn their backs on Ivan Tony, start making moves to try and um, have a deal in place once his ban was over. They haven't done any of that. You know, they're in a position where they need him. He needs them because... I don't think any club really is going to be willing to go and spend the £100 million that Brentford are seemingly asking for until they see Ivan Tony come back, pick up where he left off to a degree and prove that he's still a good Premier League striker. So, yeah, I think that, you know, it was always going to be the case that he stayed because of that relationship that he has with the club, at least until the end of the season. But I think it was always also going to be the case that nobody was going to commit that type of money to Ivan Tony until he did more um, until he came back and showed that he could pick up, as I say, from where he left off. So that is not happening. We've said it's not going to happen. It's no surprise. It's not breaking news. It's not shocking. It's not anything like that. Um, I'm not sitting here pretending that we're bringing you some massive exclusive. I've been saying all along that this deal certainly won't happen in January. Could it happen in the summer? Maybe. It might happen in the summer. And I think if you get to the summer and Ivan Tony does a really, really good job, and helps Brentford escape the threat of relegation, that Brentford might go, okay, it's the summer. It'll be easier to replace you now. You've helped us in making sure that we avoid the potential of relegation because we're, we're without Brian and Bumo. You know, we're, we've lost players through injury. We've had an awful um, season of injuries at Brentford. Because of that, and because we think we can replace you in the summer with more time and and sort of more leeway and all the rest of it, and we're not in such a desperate situation, maybe we can do a deal at £70 million, at £75 million, which then makes that Ivan Tony signing a lot more appealing to the clubs that could potentially be in for him. So the £100 million that I've always said is over the top is partly because of the fact that we're talking about a January move. I do think in the summer, if Ivan Tony wants to go and things are, are calmer for Brentford and and they're in a better situation and a better position, you could see him going for, you know, 70 million, which then becomes much more appealing, as I say. Anyway, um, not happening in January. Didn't expect it to happen. I actually hope that Ivan Tony fires Brentford out of trouble. I really like Brentford. I love what they've done. I think they've been a breath of fresh air to the Premier League. I love Thomas Frank as a manager. I think not only is he very adaptable, um, very uh, humble. I think he's a great person to speak to. You know, in my job, I've, I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of managers um, directly after football matches where they're angry, where they're upset, where they're frustrated, where they're jubilant at times. None of them have been as warm and as welcoming and as open and as honest, in my opinion, to me anyway, as Thomas Frank. So I, I really do wish him all the best. And you know, aside from the fact that I'm not massively keen on Ivan Tony, I hope that they can keep a hold of him and, and that can, um, you know, that can uh, see them get through what is a difficult campaign for them. 
You know, it really, really is. Um, get some of your questions in the live chat. There's a few in there already, but get some more in for the last few minutes of the show and we will uh, run through those. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're brand new. Remember, tomorrow will be joined by Charles Watts um, as well. Of course, renowned Arsenal journalist, one of the best in the business. He'll be joining me. So after the show is finished, please do go into the comment section, not the live chat, into the comment section. Leave some questions and we'll pick up some of the best ones on tomorrow's episode. Okay, short pause. And then it's time for your questions to round up the show. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast with me, Harry Simiou. Uh, Fuad says, uh, Harry, who's your first target in the summer? Oh man, Fuad, I haven't even thought that far ahead yet, to be honest with you. And we could, um, you know, between now and the end of the season, be looking at things very differently. You know, we we, we could. We could be looking at um, a certain position and thinking that's a problem position, or we could be looking at a player that we're currently not sure about and thinking, Actually, you know what? You've made a step up and you've proven yourself enough for me to believe that you could be the answer for the new season. I, at this moment in time, you know, I, th I think we do need more business. I think we need another midfielder. Um, and I think that's probably going to come at the expense of Thomas Partey. I think we're going to move him on. There's a chance Jorginho leaves if Arsenal don't decide to renew his contract. Um, there's more than a chance that Mohamed Elneny leaves. You know, I think he nailed on to leave, in fact. So we will need some reinforcements in midfield for sure. But the the position I'm looking at and thinking we need a massive upgrade in or, you know, or, or we should be going really big on is at centre forward. Because I think that's where we're missing maybe a difference maker. Um, I'd argue that we need a winger as well. I, I don't think we're anywhere near done when it comes to the building of this team. And maybe you could argue that in football, you never are really done because football changes all the time and develops and all the rest of it. Um, you know, so I'm I'm very open-minded to that. But, you know, I'd love to have Victor Osimhen at the football club. Uh, I watched him play for Nigeria the other day. And I have to say, apart from him scoring a goal, I wasn't that impressed with his performance. Um, you know, he, he was a bit wasteful in front of goal. He, he missed a few chances. Um, and I think sometimes people will overlook that stuff because they're so sold on a particular signing or a particular transfer. But I think generally speaking, Victor Osimhen has been really, really effective in recent years. So I'm not going to let one performance in the AFCON put me off of Victor Osimhen. I think the price is pretty steep. But when you think about, you know, what the market looks like nowadays, it's it's not surprising, is it, that that's where the release causes. And who's to say that if Victor Osimhen doesn't kick up a fuss and Napoli review their finances, that they might not accept something less than the release clause. The release clause is the the maximum that you will have to pay. It's not always the minimum. He's got seven goals in 13 Serie A games so far this season. So he's kind of continued um, from where he sort of, you know, you know, picked up last season. He's got what, just the one goal in the Champions League. Uh, he only made four appearances, though. Um, wasn't in the team every single time in the group stages. Had an, a hamstring injury that kept him out of the two games against Union Berlin, I think, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, um, I think I'd be very, very interested in him. But again, like I think you can have plans from now for the summer. And I think Arsenal will have an idea of what they want to do. But I think you always have to be open to adapting and changing those plans because, you know, you you just kind of never know what's going to happen in, in the next six months or so. Six months is a long time in football, isn't it? Um, it is a long time in football. Okay, uh, let's take some more of your thoughts, some more of your questions from the live chat. Um, Louis says, would you pay Ossiman's release clause or go for Tony in the summer? I don't see Tony getting us closer to challenging for the Champions League or the Premier League. Uh, but with Ossiman, we could win those trophies. Yeah, I prefer Ossiman to Tony. Not, not a doubt about that in my mind. Um, people will say, yeah, but one's Premier League proven. And I think we, we do get a bit obsessed with that sometimes. And I think Mikel Arteta and Edu have maybe been a bit obsessed with that at times. Hence why I would make the case and the argument that they've overpaid for some players because they really valued that Premier League experience and felt that that was worth going the extra mile in terms of the transfer fee. Dylan Zhang says, thoughts on Newcastle's FFP situation? 
it's the profit and sustainability stuff, guys. Um, and it's different to FFP. Profit and sustainability is a Premier League um, rule and FFP is a UEFA thing. Um, but again, like, I'm not massively surprised to see clubs in this predicament at this moment in time. Why? Because they're actually enforcing this stuff now. And I think in the long run and in the long term, it's a good thing. It means that the market's going to stagnate a little bit for now. I think this January window... I know we've still got half of it to go, but I think it's been one of the most boring, underwhelming transfer windows maybe we've ever seen. Um, well, certainly in the modern era since transfer windows became a thing. Because I remember when I was a kid, I mean, transfers, you didn't know anything about them. You didn't read any news on Twitter. You didn't read anything apart from maybe the odd story in a newspaper. And I remember coming home from school every day and jumping onto Teletext, CFAX, remember that? just to check if anything had happened. Um, that, that was your news source. You know, now there's this clamor for clicks and engagement. And, you know, I'm guilty of it as well as a, as a content creator. Um, but it's just a very different world right now, isn't it? And I think for those that were looking at January and thinking, start the year with a bang in terms of content around transfers, a lot of us have sat there and gone, well, there isn't really that much to talk about. And we don't really want to be um, clutching at straws. So, yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? It is a tough one. Okay, um, let's see what we've got here. Mark Jerome says, do you think we should give the younger players more game time to help improve them, even if it means the team suffering a bit during their development? I think there are times where you can afford to do that. So I think, for example, um, you know, when we were battering Lons in the Champions League, we, we probably could have done more to give those guys a go then but then Arteta would argue well I've got players that are on the fringes of the first team that I'm more likely to need over the course of the season therefore I should be um, prioritising giving them minutes when there is an opportunity to provide minutes to someone should we do it if it means the team's suffering a bit no um, not in my opinion because you've seen that the, the pressure that Mikel Arteta is under from some of our own fans there was a guy in the chat earlier on uh, whose name escapes me, I, I beg your pardon, who said, if we don't win the Champions League or the Premier League this season, that Arteta should be sacked. If you're under that kind of pressure and, you know, you, you've got that kind of narrative around you, why would you ever do anything that jeopardises your chances of winning any given football match? You wouldn't. So I, I get why people say that. And I, and I think in an ideal world, you'd like to do that. And maybe we could have done it in the Carabao. Um, I know we, we've we had some rotten draws in the Cups lately. West Ham away in the Carabao. We had Liverpool in the Carabao last season. Um, Liverpool in the FA Cup this season. Man City in the FA Cup the season before. We've had some rotten draws, I think, that haven't allowed us to do that. If we'd got Oxford United like we did, you know, when um, in the third round last year, then, yeah, in, in those kind of situations, that's when you look at it and you go, yep, yeah, these are the opportunities where I need to give some of those players game time and minutes, but I don't think in such a high pressured environment, you can do that. Um, I, I just don't think you can do that. I don't think that's the reality. Um, some would argue that Jurgen Klopp's done it. Jurgen Klopp's done it with two or three players per season where he's had them in and around the place, but Liverpool have been so competitive in the Premier League, so competitive in the Champions League, generally speaking, that you've always been able to go, well, the Carabao Cup can go by the wayside a little bit. Where Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League, we've needed to to give it more in the Cups, in my opinion. You know, people have, were really upset that we went out of the FA Cup the other day. Now, I wasn't as upset as some. I was upset at the time, but over time, I've come to kind of accept that, you know, I'd rather go further in the Champions League. So that should be the priority. But when there's pressure from every single corner and every single side and it feels like the walls are closing in on you because you're not going to win the Premier League, for example, at what point do you say, no, it's fine, I'll let the team suffer so I can give a 17, 18-year-old 10 minutes at the end of a game or 15 minutes at the end of a game? It, you know, unless you really believe that that player is, is going to make it, I don't really see why you would. And I think that there is this misconception among Arsenal fans that there are loads and loads of players in that under-21 setup that are banging on Mikel Arteta's door and are very close to forcing their way into the side. I don't think there is. I, I really don't. I really don't think there is. 
let's take an example, right? Ruel Walters is a good example. And this is not to dig him out specifically, but it's just an example that comes to my mind. I remember not last summer, the summer before, he played in a couple of our preseason games. He started a preseason game that we played against the German side. Was it Nuremberg? I think it was Nuremberg. He started that game. And I thought at the time, oh, wow, you know, this young lad, he's obviously knocking on the door. And there's obviously a chance that over the next couple of seasons, he's going to become a part of the first team makeup. What's happened to him? Now, is it just because Mikel Arteta doesn't give opportunities to young players, which is, again, in itself, a bit of a misconception? Or is it because he's not been good enough and he hasn't shown enough? And sometimes we're very quick to go, well, all the young players should get a chance. Are they good enough, though? And then the truth is, Mark, I don't know because I don't watch them every week. You don't know because I'm sure you don't watch them every week. We've seen bits and pieces of them. I've done some under 21 games. I've done some under 18 games, but I don't watch them every week. And that type of football is really difficult to gauge anything from nowadays because the teams change so much. The teams just chop and change so much. There's no consistency. It isn't like back in, in my day when you had the reserve teams, right? You knew who was in your reserves. And from time to time, some of your first team players would drop down there, get involved with them. That would help them raise their levels. That would help them um, learn. That would also help the, the senior pro who was maybe coming back from an injury or whatever. And it was a lot more competitive reserve team football. I've turned up to commentate this season on an Arsenal under-21s game. Done all my research on the under-21s. You know, gone through it with a fine tooth comb, picked out stats for every player, profiled every single player, all the rest of it. Done all of that and then turned up and found that actually seven of the under-18s have been pushed up into that team. Some of the uh, youngsters that would normally play in the under-21s might be needed for a cup fixture for the first team coming up around the corner. So they've been taken out of the mix there. And then how can I really gauge anything from that game? I can't judge an under-21s player when he's playing with a bunch of 18-year-olds. I can't judge an 18-year-old when he's playing with a load of 21s. And I couldn't possibly tell you how any of those players would fare if you put them into a senior environment. I think the gap between first-team football and academy football now is bigger than it's ever been at the highest level. And it's very, very difficult to know where these players are at unless you give them chances. But I go back to my original point of how can you give them chances when you're under pressure to deliver results every single week? And if you've got no previous to go by, no, um, you know, no assurance in your own head and in your own mind that, you know, those players are ready, then, then what do you do? What do you do? Um, Scott Kirk says, uh, Arteta is the man before the man. His inability to adapt and man management will see Saliba and Saka walk. He's brought some excitement back, but he will not get us over the line. Now, that's not a wild opinion to have. That's not a wild take to have. I think that Mikel Arteta has done enough to deserve the opportunity to, um, to, to have a good crack at it. And he's done enough to deserve the opportunity to take this team, hopefully further. But that's not a wild opinion to have. Like Again, I, got, I mentioned it earlier on on the episode. We talked about opinions not always needing to be sort of mutually exclusive. So to say that Arteta has done a really good job so far, but that he can't get us over the line in terms of winning a Premier League or winning a Champions League is a perfectly okay view to have. You know, that that's a view that in time might be, you know, might be proven. And I've got no issue with people holding that opinion. Where I have an issue is with people who try to discredit the work he's done so far. I think the work he's done so far has been really, really good, really, really positive. And I'm hoping um, that we can take that next step and we can move on. Um, you know, man management, I, I just think that he doesn't take any shit from people. I think that there are some players whose attitudes are spot on, the, the type of attitude that Mikel Arteta likes. And there are players whose attitudes leave a lot to be desired. And, and Mikel Arteta hasn't got time to put up with that nonsense, um, you know, in the job that he's doing. Every manager has his favourites. Every manager has players that he gravitates towards, that he takes under his wing, that he pulls in alongside him. And every manager has players that they just don't fancy from the minute they walk in the door. That's the reality um, of it. So I think it's harsh to say that his man management has been bad. I think with 
with Bukayo Saka, although Unai Emery gave him his debut, under Mikel Arteta, he's gone on to become a much better player. So you have to give Arteta some credit there. Um, you know, William Saliba, yeah, okay. It was a bit shaky at the beginning, his relationship with Mikel Arteta. He was upset that he wasn't included in the plans. He was upset that he was sent out on loan again. But when he came back, when he came back, look at the player that he was and, and look at the player that he's continuing to develop into. And again, maybe you should look at that through a slightly different lens. And rather than saying Arteta got it wrong with Saliba, maybe you should say, actually, Arteta was right to recognise that he could do with another year away playing regularly. And Arteta was right to predict that that extra year would elevate his game to a whole new level to a point where we're now talking about him as one of the best centre-backs in the league. And maybe in years to come, we're going to be talking about him as one of the best centre-backs in the world. In fact, some people will tell you he's that now. So the, the idea of Arteta being the man before the man is not a wild take at all. And, and while I think that he's done enough to deserve the opportunity to prove that he can be the man and not just the man before the man um, for now, you know, I, I don't think that's a wild take, Scott. And I think it's a very, very valid point and a, and a good argument to make. Um, you know, I might be saying the same thing in a year's time, in two years' time, you know. Um, Scott also goes on to say, I just want success for the club. I've followed for 40 years again. I think he has had a good go of it. Um, I think that whatever happens this season, um, no, let me rephrase that. I don't think whatever happens this season, he should be given next season. If we completely crash and burn, then I think conversations need to be had. But I think that, because of the point in the season that we're at at the time of recording this, it's really unfair to be calling for his head now. It's not as if the season has completely gone to crap, right? We're we're still in the Champions League. We've got a draw um, in the round of 16 that I think we're all quite happy with. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. It's never easy in the Champions League. But it's a game that I think we're all confident Arsenal can win. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're in the last eight of Europe's premier competition. We're still within touching distance um, of the, the, the top of the Premier League. And as I said, if we can win um, our next couple of games, Palace and Forest, both winnable fixtures. Again, not saying they're going to be easy, but they're winnable fixtures on paper at least. And then you can beat Liverpool at Emirates Stadium, which we should have done in the Cup a couple of weeks ago. Then all of a sudden, the outlook when it comes to the Premier League title race is very different again as well. So I just think it's unfair to be you know, saying, well, no, I'm done with him now. He, he's definitely not the man. And there's no point in persisting with that. I think it's a really, really harsh um, opinion to have. And it's an opinion that I think in a lot of people has has developed further over the course of the last two weeks because the transfer windows open. A lot of us feel that we could really do with some reinforcements, yet we're not actually seeing that um, because of our issue with the profit and sustainability rules. So that frustration added to the bad run of results that we've been on, I think has got people into a position where maybe they're panicking a little bit prematurely about what the rest of this season is going to bring. I'm one of those people that likes to look at it glass half full. I like to look at the positives. We're only five points off the top of the Premier League. We're in the last eight of the Champions League. Now, I realise that you can flip it the other way. You know, we were top at Christmas. Now look at where we are. Um, you know, we're we're not going to go to the latter stages of the Champions League. Why? Because we don't have the experience within this group to do that. And, and we're going to meet a, a giant in the next round, even if we do get through Porto. We haven't progressed in the FA Cup. We went out early in the League Cup. I understand why people would look at it glass half empty. I'm just trying to look at it glass half full because that's the way I like to do things. Um, but yeah, valid points, Scott. Valid points indeed. Thank you. Uh, for sending that comment in. Really, really appreciate it and hope you uh, have a great Tuesday, mate. Thank you. Okay, uh, what else have we got? Uh, Lynn asked a question around Mikel Arteta's assistants. Um, you know, are they as good as, you know, what he was at Manchester City to Pep Guardiola? It's a good question. It's a valid question. But my sort of take on that would be we're in a really difficult position to be able to judge that from. So I look at, you know, Mikel Arteta and I think, you know, really good coach, maybe a little bit naive as a manager at times in terms of his approach to games, his in-game management, all of that. I think all of that is valid criticism uh, of him. But to say that it's because of the assistance or, you know, for, for one way or the other, to say it's because 
they're really good and that's why we've done well, generally speaking, or saying, actually, the reason we can't go to that next level is because they're not good enough. I think it's just it's just purely an opinion. It wouldn't be based on any facts because the truth is we don't know how much influence they have. We don't know what ideas come from them. We don't know what things Mikel Arteta conjures up that they challenge and push back on. We don't know, um, you know, whether some of the master strokes that we've seen, and there have been a few over the last year and a half, uh, have come from them or, or from Arteta, or if he's really overbearing and overpowering, or if they do have a really loud voice. We just don't know. Um, we just don't know. So it's really, really difficult um, to gauge that. Look, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I'm going to leave it there. I will um, be back tomorrow uh, with another edition of the podcast. I'll be joined by Charles Watts. Really, really looking forward to that. So remember, get into the comments after this. Leave your questions. If you're not uh, watching us on YouTube or you're listening to the podcast, you can tweet me at Harry Simu your questions, and we'll include the best ones in tomorrow's podcast. We are going to put a couple of uploads out a little bit later on today from this episode. Um, I realize that you won't want to watch the videos again uh, because you've seen it, uh, of course. Um, but if you could just hop into those videos, when you get the notification, uh, leave a like, subscribe. Um, well, no, you'll be subscribed, won't you, if you get the notifications. Leave a like on the video. And if you could just put a thumbs up comment or something generic like that, that would really help because we're just trying to um, up the level on YouTube a little bit and we need to train the algorithm. Uh, with regards to sort of some of the other bits of content that we're going to be putting out. So if you could do that, I'd really, really appreciate it. Thank you all so much. Uh, whether you agree or disagree, it's always a great conversation. I really appreciate it. And those of you that disagree, you're more than welcome to come on and have a debate. Um, when we do the phone-in shows, when we put the link in the, in the in the chat box, hop on, let's have a chat. I'm more than open to that. I'm not going to shut down people's opinions. I'm not going to say that your opinion is invalid, um, you know, my opinion is my opinion. That's what I'm here to, to give. But obviously, um, let's have those debates. Let's have those conversations for sure. I will see you all soon. Um, until the next time, uh, take care of yourselves. Have a great day. All the best. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>